0: to look at a passage today, we're going through the book of Hebrews, but we're going to look at a passage today that I think is, if it's, if it's under. Uh, listen, I could preach this concept alone every weekend from now until whenever I retire. I could have started my ministry preaching this concept alone, and I guarantee you, that there still would be people who would misunderstand it because it's one of the most misunderstood principles of Christianity. The, I would say it's the most misunderstood principle of Christianity. I believe all the cults get it wrong. I believe that many of the mainline denominational churches get it wrong. And I believe sometimes even evangelical, Baptist, Bible-believing churches... Get it wrong, and so what I want to do is I want to lay it out because you may be here and you you think you have heard this, but you haven't really heard it. It's like this. You know, uh, some of you did anybody get um, the um, flu vaccination? Go ahead, you can. Don't have to be shy. Raise your hand. So you know, the flu vaccination is basically you get up just a a little bit. And some people say, well, they get the flu from it. You know, I don't want to get in that debate. Okay, just close that down in your mind. But just assume that, that, that what we're told by medical science is true. And essentially what you do is you get a little bit of that and your body begins to develop a defense against the real flu when it comes. So you build up a tolerance, your body does. I believe that there are so many people who have heard a part of the gospel. And they've been inoculated to it. And they haven't really heard the gospel. What I want you to do, I want you to really hear the gospel this morning. Here, here's, here's, diff- here's what I want to contrast, because they're two very different teachings. Religion says this, and many people who think they believe the gospel are really not doing nothing more than practicing religion. Religion says this. Religion says this. It says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. I obey, therefore God accepts me. Okay? That's religion. The Gospel says, I'm accepted. And because I'm accepted, I choose to obey. I delight in obeying. I want to obey. Now, if you just heard those two statements and you said, I don't know if I know there's very much difference between the two... There's a world, there's an eternity of difference between those two statements. And that's what we we'll want to look at, because that's really what our p- passage is all about. So let's, we're going to be reading uh, through and, and kind of studying Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm going to look at the first 12 verses, but I want to tell you what we're going to be reading before we read it, and then we'll talk about it, okay? so. Essentially, Hebrews 8, what the writer's doing, and he's kind of doing this all the way through the book of Hebrews. He's saying Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is is the final word of God. Jesus is is a a better high priest. You know, we talked about that last weekend. So he's better, 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 right? And what he's going to say is that Jesus is a better high priest of a better covenant. We'll talk about what a covenant is in a little bit. He's going to say that there's a new covenant and it's superior to the old covenant. And because uh, the, the old covenant was, was racked with weakness because of us, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then he's going to say this new covenant has no need for sacrifices anymore. There's no need for priests. There's no need for temples. It's a new covenant. It's a new agreement. It's a new deal. And uh, that's kind of what he's going to say in this passage. So I want to read Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 1 and we'll pick up the text and we'll talk about it. So the writer says this in verse 1. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since we have a high priest... Since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer gifts and required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is, that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I will show you. Here in the mountain. So essentially, what the writer is referring back to is when Moses went up on the mountain. And if you read through the, the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus and, uh, and and Exodus, you'll see that God gave detailed directions of how to build the tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was meant to be in the center of the camp. The camp was the, each tribe was around the camp, and the, the tabernacle. You were supposed to walk out your tent every day and be facing towards the tabernacle, the very presence of God. Right? And so in the tabernacle, there there were certain places in the tabernacle and certain holy objects in the tabernacle. But there was this curtain that that enclosed the Holy of Holies. And only one person could go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. And it was the high priest. And it was on the Day of Atonement. And he first had to offer a sacrifice for his sins. But then he offered a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And what the writer's saying here in Hebrews, he's saying the high priest... And Moses was given very clear directions of how this was to take place in the Old Covenant. How the people were to approach God. God was the center of the camp, but he was really unapproachable. He was really unapproachable. And then he says this, "...but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates a far better covenant with God based upon better promises." If this first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the, land, uh, by the hand and led them uh, out of the ha- land of Egypt. They did, n- they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. You might want to underline this next part. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And this is the part you might want to underline I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from Israel to the greatest, from the least to the greatest, will know already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So here's two things that I want you to see from this passage. The first one is this: that Jesus came to end religion. He came to end religion. The old covenant had been nothing more. It, here's what it become: there were rules and regulations. What offering should I bring? When should I bring it? You know, how often? You know, just all it was. You know, how what was clean? What was unclean? All these rules and regulations, and 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 essentially, what was going on was the people were bringing the offerings. They were following the law. But here's a big thing. They brought the proper sacrifices, but their hearts weren't in it. Have you ever done anything where your heart wasn't in it? Have you ever ever done it but you you said, "Oh, I'll do it," but I don't want to do it? I mean, listen, from last week, right? We we all we all done it. We've all said, oh, "I'll do it," but I don't want to do it. And then there's times where you say, "I'll do it," and it's a joy. It's 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 an honor. It's a privilege. It's you don't even have to ask. Why'd you even ask? And Jesus said, "You know, this heart problem didn't just happen to the people in the Old Testament. It was true in His day, and guess what? It's true today." Jesus said this, Matthew 15:8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We just spent a time of worship and music to God. We sang praises to God. We sang about His greatness. We We said we were ready to offer ourselves to him. And I wonder, (laughs) would Jesus, if he were standing in our place right now, in the place that we're worshiping, would he say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're going through the motion, but they're they're really not engaged. They really don't care. So the writer says this. He says that Jesus came to end this. How did he do it? How did Jesus come to end religion? Well, he says in verse uh, 1, he says, We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of God. Now, the first thing we need to see is that Jesus came to do something really dramatic and really incredible. And Isaiah 1 tells us about it. And he says this in Isaiah 1, verse 18. It says, this is the, the, the Lord speaking to his people. He says, Come now, let us... And let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your skins, sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are like crimson, I will make them white as, as, as snow. So we know that somehow or another, we've talked about it in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus came to set things right. That something not outside of us, but within us is wrong. And, and something had to had to change. And so Jesus came for that pers- purpose. Now, it says something very interesting here in verse 1. It says that Jesus, when he had offered the sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, if you know anything, there's two things he's saying here. He's saying, first, that Jesus was our high priest. And we talked about that a little last weekend. Uh, the pastors preached on that. The priest, but, but we, what we know about the priest is the priest represented the people to the God. And that's why the high priest would offer the sacrifices for the people to God. They represented the people to God. That's what a priest did, right? And so they would bring the offerings. But one of the things we know about the Old Testament is the priest's job was never done. Why? Because there were always sinners. There was always sacrifices. There was always one more sacrifice that needed to be made because there was always more work to be done. So what did Jesus do here? When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, what does that mean? It means that what Jesus was doing was he was saying, "I've offered that once and for all, that final, that offering for sin." And what were the last words that Jesus said when he hung on the cross? He said, "It is finished. It's done. It's complete. No more sacrifices, no more offerings, no more temples." No more priests. Jesus became the final high priest. Jesus put an end to all, to all offerings when He offered Himself. All the offerings pointed to the final offering. All the lambs that had been offered pointed to the final Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who makes our red sins white as snow. Forgiveness. So that's the first thing, that Jesus is the high priest that sat down. But he sat down where? On the throne. He's not just a high priest, he's a king. Kings sit on thrones. And the right hand was the, 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 the place of power and honor and privilege. And so what he's saying there is, and what did the king do? What was the role of the king? In the Old Testament, the king was to represent God to the people. So the priest would represent the people to God. The king would represent God to the people. Now there were some really bad examples of kings in the Old Testament. You read through some of the kings over Israel and Judah; they were bad dudes. I mean, they were not good, and they did not represent God very well. They abused people. They just just wreaked havoc on and, and over and over. When you start reading First and Second Kings, you start reading. Man, was there one good king in all the lot? They were all horrible. But Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, what's amazing about this is that no priest was ever a king. It was Melchizedek, and we could talk more about that, and he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. But the point is, this was a very strange thing for the king to be the priest and the priest to be the king. Because those were separate offices. Those were separate events. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is in Jesus they were brought together. They were wedded together. That the priest Jesus came to represent us before the people. And Jesus came to represent God to us. He was the one who jumped between heaven and earth. He's the only one who could. Only as God became man. Uh, and Jesus didn't became, just become a man. He became our priest. He became our king. And so, I want to ask you a couple questions. Is Jesus your priest? Is He your high priest? Is he, are you accepting his, his offering? Are you willing to allow Him to be the high priest that you need, you desperately need? Or are you going to keep trying your best? You know, are you going to keep trying offering up sacrifices? You see, religion always does this. It always says, "Give more, do this, pray this, sacrifice this, and you will live." That's not the gospel. The new covenant says that Jesus ended all sacrifices. He ended the need for priests. He changed the location. He, he changed the location of God. You don't need to go to a certain place to meet with God. You don't need to go to the tabernacle. You don't need to go to the temple. Now, it, it, what does it say? After Jesus says it is finished, what it said? there was an earthquake, there was lightning, there was darkness. And all of a sudden, it, it, when Jesus died, it says that the curtain that separated the, the most holy place from the rest of the world was torn from top to bottom. And now there's entrance. We have access into the presence of God. And so I want to ask you, is Jesus your priest? And secondly, is Jesus your king? Do you serve him? Here, here, here's how you know that. Do you serve him out of duty or delight? Jesus, jump! You say, really? Today, right now? Jesus, says, would you give to this? How much? I mean, really? Would you serve? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. You know. Uh, you know, really? I mean, I, I was kind of seeing you more as a an accessory. You want to be king? I mean, come on. Seriously. I want to tell you about my experience growing up. I grew up and I went to church every week. Went to confession once a month. I did this to appease my mother. (laughs) Um, Hey, if it got me favor with God, that was good too. But ultimately, I followed the rules. I confessed my sins. I went to the church building where God was. And I obeyed the teachings of the church. I was trying to change myself from the outside in. And many people do that. Many people say, have you ever found this out, that some people act differently when they're in church and when they're out in the parking lot? Right? Or at trying to get down Kennedy Road when there's all these cars in a row. You know, you say, wait a minute here. That seems like there's a... I did it because I had to. I usually didn't want to. I was like many people in the Old Testament. I was bringing my offerings to God grudgingly. My heart wasn't in it. That was my experience B.C. before Christ. I obeyed. Therefore, I hoped one day that I would be accepted. I hoped that I had done enough to be accepted. That's what I was... Now. That was how I was raised. That's my experience. Maybe it's not yours. I'm just telling you that I was raised in, a, in an environment where what I learned was that I had to work hard, I had to try hard, I had to put my best effort forward, even if I didn't want to do it, because one day I'm going to need that. I'm going to need some sort of a resume. I'm going to need some sort of a reason why I should be able to go to heaven. Then I was introduced to the good news of the new covenant. And what happened was God put His law in my heart. God changed my heart. God gave me a new heart. God changed me, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. I became a new person. And I began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't need to go to the priest because I have Jesus, the final high priest. I no longer had to offer my pitiful sacrifices of penance because Jesus offered Himself for me on the cross. He had offered the once and for all final sacrifice and He sat down. And I realized for the first time that it was never really about me in the first place. I realized that I no longer needed to go to a certain church to find God, that He's always with me. In fact, it says in one place in John that Jesus said that when I leave, I'm going to give you another helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and He will dwell in you. And God's Spirit dwells in me today. What I'm saying essentially is this, that many churches and many people have legalized Christianity. Some of you are saying, well, I think that should be a good thing, shouldn't it? I mean, there's a whole bunch of bad things that we're trying to legalize today. Frankly, legalizing Christianity in America seems like a good thing. No, what I mean by that is we have made Christianity legalized. We have said... You have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to go here, and you have to do this. And when you do all those things, you are a good Christian. Follow the rules, follow the law. And we've legalized Christianity. We shouldn't legalize Christianity. Legalism and religion always add something to the gospel. Always. Legalism always says, "Oh, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus is the Savior and I believe it's by faith, but you gotta be baptized, you gotta go to church, you gotta fill in the blank." Okay, all these things you gotta do. I like what J. J. I. Packard, Jim Packard said, and he was a theologian. He still is alive, I believe. Um, he says you can't add, you cannot add to the gospel without subtracting from it. In other words, what he's saying here is if you've anything to the Gospel, you've destroyed the Gospel. You don't get the Gospel. Here's another thing that I think that, that we need to do. We need to, we need to say no more quid pro quo for the Gospel. No, no more. What does that mean? It, it, it literally, it essentially just means this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll do you a solid, you do me a solid. But we don't do that with each other. We do it with God. We say, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give my money. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to be really faithful. I'm going to be better than most people. And one day I'm going to present you with all the things that I've done. And you're going to say, wow, you're amazing. Get into heaven. Come here. Right? Many people feel that God owes them because of what they've done for Him. And it says, Matthew says, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Jesus says, many people will come to me on that day and they'll say, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. Jesus, we healed people in your name. Jesus, we did this in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. So the first thing is that Jesus came to end religion. Secondly, Jesus brought a new covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, as I said before, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The, the, then this showed that the sacrificial system was over. That Jesus became the ultimate once and for all uh, sacrifice for sin, and Jesus makes us clean. The entire book of Hebrews, Hebrews explains the Old Testament ceremonial laws, and it's not saying that Jesus abolished these laws. See what what the New Testament and, and, and the book writer of Hebrews is not saying. He's not saying all oh, these laws were bad. They were foolish. They were stupid. They were dumb. And Jesus now brought in you know the covenant version two. You know to fix everything that was wrong. With the old covenant. The old there was nothing broken with the old covenant. What was broken with the old covenant, he didn't come to abolish it. Jesus came and fulfilled the old covenant. See, the problem with the old covenant wasn't the covenant. The problem with the old covenant was me, was you, was the people of Israel. What is the word covenant? We've thrown it around. We don't really have a good English word. We can use contract. We can illegal agreement. You know, and it's more personal than that. It really is. It's more of an endearing, close relational promise that you make to one another. You know, when they made covenants in the old when they made covenants in the Old Testament, and really, essentially, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is the weakness of the old covenant was not in the covenant. The weakness of the old covenant was in us. Why? Because we couldn't keep covenant, or we didn't want to keep covenant. Our hearts weren't in it. We would go through the motions, but we didn't want to do it. We had we didn't have some of you are coming to hope right now and you were in a tradition where you never wanted to go to church, you never wanted to pray, you never wanted you, you, you your heart wasn't in it, but now for the first time your heart is in it, you go, I don't know what's going on. What's going on is what's what's happened is Jesus has come into your life. He's opened your heart, he's given you a new heart. You have a new desire, you have a new hope. You know your sins are forgiven. You have a relationship with him. It's, it's a different... And when you try to speak to somebody who's part of the old covenant, they're trying to keep the rules and do enough, they don't get it. They just like, they're like a deer going, okay, shoot me because I have no idea what you're doing because I'm lost here. I don't get this. The weakness of the old covenant was not the offering of the sacrifices, but the hearts of the people. You know, we could do the right things for the wrong reasons. And many of us did. And many of us do. Look at what Isaiah says. He's, he's telling about what was going on in the hearts of people in the Old Testament. And and by the way, we can look at the people in the Old Testament. And say, yeah, there were bad people, and they did, you know. And, and some of them were faithful, and they, some of them their hearts were in it, you know. But here's the point: they're like us today. So let's not point fingers because we got four pointing. You know, three or two, whatever point in us. But here's what he says, Isaiah one. He says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for rebelled against me. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices? You think I'm impressed? Do you think I love these things? And then he says this I am sick of your burnt offering of rams and the fat of fat fat and cattle. Uh I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. See, so the problem wasn't that they were bringing the sacrifices. They were. The problem was their heart wasn't in it. The problem was they were doing it because they had to. So what did Jesus do? Now, in the Old Testament, when two people had a covenant agreement, they were basically saying, by the way, and I don't have time to do it, but I'm going to do it anyways. Do you know these little... Uh, necklaces they wear. The Lord watch between me and thee. And you go, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, look that up in the Scripture sometimes because basically there's two men saying, if you cross this line, I'll kill you. Watch between you and me. In other words, if you cross over and you come after me, the Lord's going to get you or I'm going to get you. This is not a lovely thing. But the, the, the idea there, it's, it's a, a covenant. It's an agreement. And here's the deal. The covenant was this. The covenant was, you do your part, I'll do your part, uh, my part. You be faithful to what you're supposed to do, I'll be faithful to my, what I'm supposed to do. And when they would do a covenant, when they would make a covenant, they would, they would slaughter an animal and they would divide it up. He said, "Well, that's bloody. It was bloody. And the reason they did that was they were you were supposed to look at this animal and say, "Hey, if you break covenant, this is what's going to happen to you." Okay? Are we are we clear here? And so there were curses when you broke the covenant. There was a curse, there was a penalty, there was punishment if you broke the covenant. And the old covenant was broken over and over and over. And Jesus came, and He didn't break the covenant. He kept the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant for you and me. That's what He did. And here's what happened. Not only did He fulfill the covenant, but He took the curse of the covenant for us. He took the penalty. He became the whipping boy. He was innocent, but He took our suffering. He was innocent, but He took our penalty. He took the curse of the covenant. And what God says in this new covenant is very amazing because He says this. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And here's the deal. It's going to be a one-way covenant. I promise to do this. I'm going to give you a new heart. You're going to change you. And and, and here's the deal. And I will not only give you this covenant, but if you're faithful... If you're faithful, I'll be faithful. If you're not faithful, I'll still be faithful. In other words, God says, I'll never break My covenant with you. He says this, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put My laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be My people. Jesus came. And fulfilled the old covenant For you and for me He suffered the curse of the covenant And when he said it is finished He our high priest Offered the final once and for all sacrifice And the curtain was torn from top to bottom To the place where now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've earned it. Not because we're good enough. But because Jesus Christ and His blood has provided a way where we can go into the very presence of... We're not just outside on a camp looking at a tent or a tabernacle. We can have the very presence of God right now because of what Jesus has done for us. And what I'm telling you when Jesus does that it changes everything. So let's just review where we've been. Religion says this. I obey... I obey, I keep the law so that I can be accepted. My heart may not be in it, but I'm going to do it. That's the old covenant. The Gospel says this, I've been accepted by God. God, through His amazing, incredible grace, sent His Son. And Jesus willingly, not only got off the throne and came to earth, but willingly gave His life for me and kept the covenant for me and took the curse of the covenant for me. He did that for me. He didn't have to. He wasn't required to, but he loved me enough that he willingly did that for me. And because he did that, because he gave his life, because he shed his life, because he took the curse of the covenant for me, when I put my faith and trust in him, I'm accepted. I'm accepted. I don't deserve it. I can't can't even comprehend it. But I come to a point where I realize I've been accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. So because I'm accepted... I understand my debt. I understand what's been done for me. I've been given a new heart. And now I desire to serve him. I want to serve him I, my whole life. My whole ch- after Christ, my whole life has changed. Slowly but surely. I am more in love with him than ever before and and I want to serve him and I want I want him to be glorified. And when he says, "Jump." I said, "Can I? How high? Where? What? Can would you would you give your money? Sure. Where? What? When? How much? Would you serve? Yes. Absolutely. Is there more ways that I can serve it? And I don't do it because I'm saying, oh, I need a resume. I'm doing it because I owe And I'm, I'm not doing it to pay Him back. Get that. I just went, I'm just blessed. I'm loved. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I, I just have this desire to love Him and to serve Him. Well, how do you know if you're living in this new covenant? Okay, real quick. Okay? Number one, you'll have a new intimacy with Jesus. You don't just know about Him. You know Him and He knows you. Remember? Jesus, we did this, this, and this. And Jesus I don't know you. You will know Him and He will know you. You'll have a new intimacy with Jesus. But secondly, you'll have a new connection to His church to other Christians. And doesn't that make sense? If if Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter and He's going to dwell within you, that when you come to Me, when you call upon Me and ask Me to come into your life, not only will I come into your life, but My Spirit will dwell within you. You will become the temple. It just makes sense that if we are indwelled by the Spirit of God that we'll want to connect with other people. And it says that we're part of a family, that we're joined together because of our mutual faith and love for Jesus Christ. And so we now want to be part of a local assembly. Part of His church. You're part of a family now. And then finally, you'll have a new perspective on greatness in His kingdom. You won't begin to judge people quite as much. Because you'll realize that you are nothing but a sinner that was lost. That was helpless and hopeless. Drowning in sin. And then only because Jesus came and paid the price and became the great high priest and offered the once and for all sacrifice and suffered the curse of the covenant for you and loved you so much that he would come to earth and give up everything for you. When you see that, you look at that and you say, am I really better than anyone else that has come to know Jesus Christ? The ground is level beneath the cross. No one is better than me. No one is more deserving than me. No one deserves to be here or not. It is by grace. And so when I begin to understand the incredible grace that God had to forgive me, then I realize that I need to have that grace for others too. I begin not to judge people. I begin to have passion and compassion for people. It changes me. So, you have a choice today. You could either follow the ways of the old covenant and you can do your best. You can develop a resume. You can work hard at it. And your heart can go along and just not be in it. Or you can say, I want to be part of the new covenant. I want a new heart. I want a new life. I want life. I got to tell you something. My Life, B.C., Before Christ, My Life, After Christ, are two different books. And many of you would say the same thing. Not perfect. Absolutely not perfect. But I'll tell you what, I have hope. I have purpose. I have meaning. I have joy. All those things that that God wants you to have. But you won't find it by practicing legalism. You'll only find it in the gospel. The writer of Hebrews is saying to us very, very important things today. He's saying, if you call upon Jesus, you become part of the new covenant. And God won't change you from the outside in. He'll change you from the inside out. And that's when the change really takes place. Let's pray. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, thank you for this passage and for the truth of the gospel many times we have allowed the, the gospel to become polluted with works. It's trusting in Jesus plus something else. <coughs> May we truly hear the gospel for what it is. I'm accepted. Not because I'm good enough. Not because I've done enough. But because of what Jesus has done for me. And because I'm accepted, because I'm loved, I've been given a new life and a new heart and a new relationship with Him. And now, you're changing me and I have different desires. I don't serve you out of duty. I do it out of delight, joy, thankfulness, gratitude. Because you changed me. Because you saved.